Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Second Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to pick it up there in verse 18. I know you all have memorized it. Amen? Not many of you said amen. So why don't we take a look at 2 Corinthians 3, and as I read it, you can put your memory into practice. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, speaking to believers, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In other words, the word of God reveals Jesus to us. We're being transformed, as we're in the word, into the same image. So we're being transformed to look like Jesus from glory to glory. One step at a time, we look more and more like him as by, here's who does the work, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Take a look at this, if you would. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I wonder... When you think of Jesus, what image comes to your mind? Because the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. So I wonder if you've got the visual of baby Jesus. Oh, there'll be a picture on the screen here. And I wonder if there is a visual of you with little baby Jesus. Oh, you remember the moment when Jesus at eight days old, little infant Jesus, he goes into the temple with mom and dad and Simeon sees Jesus for the very first time and he picks up Jesus and he announces this prayer that now he can go home and be with the Lord because God had fulfilled his promise. Oh, the embrace and the acceptance of when he first saw Jesus lifting him up into the air and I wonder when we have the image of Jesus in our mind, do we think of baby Jesus? We think of that moment when we first got saved and we felt his love and his embrace. We understood his acceptance and that little cuddle nature and that feel of when we first get saved of what it means to be in the family of God. I wonder if we think of boy Jesus when we have the image of Jesus in our mind. I wonder if this visual of Jesus when he was at 12 years old and there he was lost supposedly from mom and dad and they had left for three days. Now just imagine you didn't notice your child was gone for three days. This is like home alone on steroids. Mary goes running back to Jerusalem and she finds Jesus in the temple. Didn't you know? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? And I wonder if Mary realized all of in this moment the purpose of Jesus. You remember the moment when someone said to you, well, you're a teacher. Or, wow, you're great with kids. 
Oh, I can see that you've got the gift of leadership or administration. And as you began to think, and if you have this image of Jesus in your mind, I wonder if it's boy Jesus, that moment when you found your purpose going about your father's business. I wonder if you think of the man Jesus. Oh, the son of man. You remember, he's with his disciples He's teaching. He's got a ministry for three years. His words were such power to them that when all of the crowds left in John chapter 6, he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter responds and he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And for Peter and for the disciples, Jesus was the teacher. They were absorbing every word, much like many of you that have come here on a Thursday night. You're hungering and you're thirsting. Sometimes Jesus would challenge them because as the man Jesus, and he would say things like, oh, faithless generation, I'm sure that had to hurt a little. Sometimes the son of man, Jesus, the teacher, he would give them direction. Oh, you remember Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And then he would say, here's the second commandment. It's just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. We call that the great commandment. But he would also direct them with the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now I know when we go to be baptized, you will have the pastor or the leader of the church and they're looking there at you and they ask you, do you believe? And you so confidently say yes. And their response is, well, we are honored to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they put you down in the water to be raised up symbolically to walk in the newness of life. Now, I know that's an application, but what Jesus was communicating in Matthew chapter 28 when he was speaking about name. You see, name was not a title. Name was character. Name was conduct. Name was your convictions. Name was your countenance. My dad would always tell me, you're a low. That's your last name. And I want to let you know something. That last name means something to me. And it meant something to your grandfather. It meant something to your grandfather. So represent that name well. It represents character. It represents a conduct. It represents your countenance. It represents your convictions, Chet. So when you go out into your world, remember your low name. Baptize them, immerse them in my character, immerse them in my conduct, immerse them in my convictions, immerse them in my countenance. I want them to know everything about them, about me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you think about crucify Jesus. Maybe you think about crucify Jesus. And there you are, at the place in your life, and you're weeping. And you're looking up at the cross, and you've seen this visual so many times. And you're wondering, like Mary and John and the other Mary, how will this thing in my life turn out? I mean, what can you do now? This situation is impossible. Or I wonder 
If you, in the midst of your trial, looking at the crucified Jesus, you say like the Roman soldier, truly, he was the Son of God. Oh, I don't know what image you think of when you think of Jesus, but maybe you are one that thinks of the resurrected Jesus. Oh, you know you've seen this picture before because Jesus always walked around with a halo around his head, holding his fingers like this and like this. This is the resurrected Jesus. I wonder what visual is in your mind. And you think of the resurrected Jesus and well, as pastors, we sometimes call them C&E Christians. They come at Christmas and they come at Easter because they know Jesus is resurrected. They believe it, and so they're going to be here. But I wonder if you, like Thomas, might find in your faith that you're doubting, frustrated, so disappointed And the resurrected Jesus shows up in your life so powerful like he did for Thomas to reveal himself to you. You see, the truth is this. We've got to discover what image it is that we think Jesus is. Because as we think, so we shall be. You see, I wonder, do you think of the baby Jesus and he's all loving and accepting and so cuddly and I get to hold him. I wonder if you think of of boy Jesus where I'm going to find my purpose and that's what Jesus is to me. I wonder if you think of the man Jesus and I just want to gain all the knowledge that I can or I wonder if I think of the crucified Jesus, someone that can understand when I'm going through my trial. I wonder if I visualize the resurrected Jesus Jesus, I need you to show up now because I'm frustrated. Well, John helps us understand the visual that we should see. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading there in verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Listen carefully. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, keep that word in your mind. When we know that he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. In other words, becomes like him just as he is pure. I ask you to maybe underline or circle or take a look at this word, revealed. Revealed. This is a Greek word, and the word means made apparent. Made apparent. It's a word that says we're going to see him. He's going to be so visual to us. And because we have the hope that one day he'll be revealed to us, then we make it our every effort to look like him now, revealed. John would write this, and then John would reveal him to us. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. I want you to see this same John would reveal Jesus to us. 
Revelation chapter 1, take a look at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at that word and just meditate on, on, for, on it for a moment. It's a different word than the word that we find in 1 John, Revelation chapter 1. This word is the word apocalyptus. Apocalyptus, where we get our word apocalypse. In fact, if you read the Spanish Bible, this is called Revelation Apocalypse. Sorry? Apocalypsis. It's coming out of me. Come on. I only know Bassa, not Spanish. I'm learning it. Apocalypsis. This word, it means uncovering. It means unveiling. Sound familiar? But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He's speaking to the church. And what Jesus does with his bride is unveils so that we can have a true picture of the glorified Jesus. He reveals to us the image And he reveals it to the true church. Take a look. Go down with me to Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. He reveals it to his bride. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Domitian did not place John on the island of Patmos. Jesus did. He was there to receive an incredible revelation, an unveiling where he would be able to take a look at the glorified Jesus and the glorified Jesus would be revealed to him and he would speak to his church. Much like he's speaking, I pray even tonight. And the revelation, it's revealed to those. Take a look. I, John, verse 9, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. This word means... In the squeeze. In the squeeze. It's revealed to those of us who are being pressed by the world. Here is John. He's on the island of Patmos. He's there not because Domitian is there. He's there because Domitian wants everybody to worship him. And John says, I'm here because I won't worship the Roman emperor. I'm here for the word of God and what Jesus said. And I'm here for the testimony of Jesus that's in me. Because my job as a believer is to reveal Jesus to others. He says, I'm here and I'm in the squeeze. Any of you ever been in the squeeze? Any, anyone ever been in the squeeze of life? Anyone? Hello? Yeah? Okay. How many of you have ever felt, you remember, you know those little machines where you put the half of the orange on the little cone and then you squeeze it and all the juice comes out? How many of you have ever felt that like all the juice is coming out of you, right? You've been, you've gone through health issues. You've gone through troubles. You've lost your job. You have some family things going on. Anyone ever been in the squeeze? Amen? He says, Jesus, he reveals himself to those that are in the squeeze. Because if we're going to live as the church in this world, you better believe you're going to be in the squeeze. You better believe that there's going to be tribulation that comes because Paul said all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that one on a plaque. 
Put that one as a beautiful picture. Put that on a Thomas Kincaid. All of those that want to live a godly life will be persecuted. Name and claim that promise. Amen? And the reason why Jesus reveals himself to the church is because he knows we're in the squeeze. And he reveals himself and he gives the image of himself so that we can have hope. Take a look as we go on. We pick it up in verse 10. He says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Stop there if you would, not only for those in the church that are in the squeeze, but for those that are in the Spirit. If I'm walking alongside with a friend, and that friend is right here beside me, all I have to do is speak in a normal voice. But if the friend is way down the road, I'm going to have to yell, and they're going to have to yell in order for me to hear them. Well, the Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit. We're to walk with the Spirit. And there's a way to know whether the Spirit is with us and whether the Spirit is not with us, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. If coming out of you is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If these things are bubbling out of you, guess what? Your friend, the Spirit, is walking right beside you, and you can have a conversation with him, and he can have the conversation with you. But if you're jealous, and envious, if you're angry, and frustrated, and you see more of the works of the flesh coming out of you, well then quite possibly you're not in the Spirit. And when those things begin to bubble out of you, when those things begin to become more of you than walking in the Spirit, well you've got to draw near to God. And the Bible promises that when you draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. And Christian, listen, the way that we do that is we confess our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we are then walking in the Spirit. But take a look what happens in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, Theatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea, look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, he writes to those that are in the squeeze to give hope. He writes to those that are in the spirit. He writes to those who's in his sights. And John turned. John turned. God spoke. John heard. And if anybody knew the voice of Jesus, it would be John. John was the one that laid up against the chest of Jesus. He knew the heartbeat of the living God. If anyone would know the voice of Jesus, it would be John. And John, he would turn when he would hear the voice of the Lord. He would turn and he would understand and he would be able to see Jesus. Now this word turned, it's an interesting word. It means that I'm looking one way, quite the obvious, and I turn and look the other. Can I express something about Jesus? He's different. 
And I said on Sunday, which one of us would have thought of turn the other cheek? Which one of us would have thought of go the second mile? Which one of us in here would have thought of love your enemy? But when we hear the Lord speak to us and we're heading this way, do we purpose to turn so that we can see him? You see, when we see him, we're going to become like him. But if you don't turn, you're never going to see him. You won't know what he looks like and you won't know what to become. And what I love about John, John turned. And John is about to give us a spiritual picture of Jesus. The only portrait of Jesus in the Bible outside of Daniel chapter 7. He is going to describe exactly what he saw. And he is going to express to us not baby Jesus. Not boy Jesus. Not man Jesus, even crucified Jesus. He is going to express to us glorified Jesus. And let me tell you what's going to happen when we take a look at the picture of Jesus. We'll see it there. And listen carefully as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can write it in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Listen to what the Bible says. For the love of Christ compels us because we just judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, he meets a conclusion. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. In other words, he's the glorified Jesus. He's not baby Jesus. He's not boy Jesus. He's not man Jesus. He's not crucified Jesus. He's glorified Jesus. That's how we know him. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what Paul lets us know, that if we see the glorified Jesus, if we keep him in our sights, and as he speaks to us and we turn and we look at him, we're going to see exactly who he is, and our goal will be to become like him. So what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 1 is the glorified Jesus. And we're going to see four things about the name of Jesus, his character, his conduct. We're going to see his convictions and his countenance. And when we see these four things, it's our opportunity to become like him. Let's take a look at number 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Thank you, John, for turning to look. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. I remember when I was uh, living in Liberia, West Africa, I always used to tell missionaries that were coming to us, if you hear a whistle or you hear someone and you think they're calling your name, play the dumb American and keep walking. Don't turn around. Make sure that you don't turn around because they are going to try to get money out of you. They're going to try to do something. And if you do turn around, just act like you don't even understand what they're saying because that will help you through the process. That's not the advice I'm going to give you today. And as you see Jesus in this picture, I want you to see through the eyes of John, the glorified Jesus, of what I'm asking you to consider to become. Number one, I want you to write it down. John saw his priestly character. 
he saw his priestly character. Take a look. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, great word, of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded with the, the chest with a golden band. When John looked, he saw the glorified Jesus. And what he saw was his great high priest. He saw a picture of the white linen garments. He saw a picture of the golden sash. He saw a picture of his great high priest, the character of a great high priest. Now, I want you to see, he saw, take a look if you would, go back with me to verse 12, seven golden lampstands. Now, if you would, go down with me to verse 20. All the way, maybe you'll turn the page. Here's the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers, the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, if you were to see a visual of the seven churches, you would see seven churches like this all around Asia Minor. There was one here, one here, one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. And what John saw were candles, were lampstands at each one of these churches, and down here two of them, and what he saw was Jesus standing in the center. He saw Jesus standing in the midst. And when John describes, and Jesus lets him know that these lampstands, these lampstands are the seven churches, what he's letting us know is this is not a physical picture. This is a spiritual picture of the glorified Jesus. And then he says, not only the lampstands, but he says, Jesus is in the midst. He's right in the center of the seven churches. And I love this church. Listen, the spiritual picture of Jesus, he's right in the midst. There was a song that Bette Midler used to sing. I don't know if you remember. God is watching us. He is watching us. He is watching us from a distance. Do you remember? Do you remember that song? Bette Midler, stop lying to us. He is not watching us from a distance. And if anyone listens to the doctrine of Bette Midler, you've got some issues. He ain't watching us from no distance. My Jesus is right in the midst. That's my great high priest. The Bible says that he is with us. He says, fear not. I ain't watching you. I didn't just set the world into motion and then I just watch from a distance and see how this whole thing is going to turn out. No, I am intricately and I am intimately involved. I'm right there in the midst. But I want you to see these lampstands that he's in the midst of them and this white robe of the great high priest, but his golden sash, if you take a look in Romans, I mean Revelation 1, 13. It's not around his waist like the high priest would wear. No, his golden sash is around his chest. Do you know that your faith and the way that the Lord looks at your faith, Peter calls it as precious as gold. And when the high priest would come out once a year on his chest, he would wear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel to describe that the tribes of Israel are on his heart. 
And when he would walk behind into the Holy of Holies, he was representing all of the tribes of Israel and his heart was to be for the tribes of Israel and for the people of Israel. And why this golden sash is around the chest of Jesus? Because the church, whose faith is more precious than gold, you are bound to his heart. You are bound around his heart. Do you remember what he told Peter? Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. You're in my heart, Peter. I love you dearly. I love you desperately. And when you've returned, strengthen your brother church. You're on the heart of the living God all the time. Gang, I've got nine children. I can't remember most of their names half the time. Much less now, I have eight grandchildren. And I got a concussion two years ago. Now imagine having a concussion with all of those names and try to remember. It was my son's birthday today. I'm grateful to God that I remembered. You know how I remembered? My iPhone told me. (laughs) But Jesus, he knows the numbers of hair on your head. And gentlemen, as we get older... He discounts a few. (laughs) He knows. That's how intimately and intricately that we are on his heart. And the Bible says that he is our great high priest. Listen, it's it's Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read it for you. You write it down in your notes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest dressed in his robe with the sash around his heart, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Which one of you in this room need grace tonight? All right, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to help you to give you a little cheat sheet. All of you do. Okay, so let me ask again, all right? How many of us need grace tonight? All right? And let me ask you another question. How many of you keep your heart pumping through the night? Like you wake up every night, all night long, and you say to yourself, keep going, keep going, keep going. All night long, you just keep your heart going. Do you know what a grace it is that God keeps your heart going? You take it for granted. You wake up in the morning, and you just go about your day. Do you know what it took for God to keep your heart pumping as long as it was pumping? What a great grace of God. I want all of you to take a deep breath. I want all of you to let it out. Some of you should brush your teeth. (laughs) Take another deep breath. Do you know what a great grace it is that your lungs just filled? Do you know what's happening right now? Oxygen is going in. Your blood is pumping into your lungs. Do you realize all of the mechanics that's involved with... Do you know the mechanics that's involved when I tell you to do something that your ears hear it? Send a message to your brain that you can understand a language and then you respond to the direction that I gave? Do you understand the great grace of God? He's our high priest. And he says, when you need grace, 
I want you to reach out to me. He doesn't say, you screwed up. I knew it, you little devil. Go to your room. Who do you think you are? Can you imagine when Peter was walking on the water? Can you just imagine the moment? Peter's walking on the water, right? Okay. He goes down. Okay. He goes, Jesus. And Jesus goes, drown a little bit longer, you faithless, perverse generation. That would not be a great Jesus story, okay? Can you imagine if we read that, how condemned all of us would feel? Do you know what the Bible says? When Jesus went down, the word is immediately he reached out his hand. And all we have to do when we need grace is say, I need grace. And you know what Jesus does? Here I am. Gotcha. I'm not going to let you drown. Who needs grace tonight? Who needs grace? That's our high priest. But can I beg you? As you learn this priestly character, and all of us need grace, you all raised your hand. And as you see and you turn and you experience this great grace of God, I beg you, don't be like the unmerciful servant who the king forgave him of millions of dollars. And when he saw his friend who only owed him a dollar, he beat him up. Give me my money. Oh, unmerciful servant, you didn't see Jesus. You see, if he's our great high priest who's willing to give us grace, then we in response need to give grace to others. And if we really see the glorified Jesus, we're going to be the most grace-filled people on the planet. But you know what I find about the church? When our people fall, we beat them up. When our people make mistakes, when our people... Do you, let me tell you something about humanity. There's a reason why Jesus had to die. And the reason why is our hearts are deceitful and wicked. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he asked him, uh, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, 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 Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, he asked him and he said this, Pastor Chuck, why don't you ever reveal your heart to me? He said, oh. And he responded and he said this, you want to know my heart? It's deceitful and wicked. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, for that humility. Thank you for expressing that we're all in need of the great grace of God. And thank you, great high priest, that because you're so grace-filled, that I can give grace as well. I want you to see something else about our Jesus. If you'll take a look and you'll write down number two, his wise conduct. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. His wise conduct, his head and hair were white like wool. That means it was gray. As white as snow. And, and there was no clairol to cover it up. And his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, brass as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Stop there if you would. It's point number two. When you turn and you see the glorified Jesus, you're going to see his wise conduct. Do you know Daniel chapter 7 is another picture of Jesus. A spiritual picture of Jesus. And in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9, listen carefully. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the ancient of days was seated. His garment was as white as snow. In other words, there's our great high priest. 
and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Can I tell you that if the Bible repeats itself twice, we should take note. Do you know when Jesus was trying to get Simon Peter's attention, sometimes he went, Simon, Simon. Do you remember that? Do you remember when he would go, verily, verily? How many got the King James Version? Verily, verily. What is that word, right? Truly, truly, I say to you. If Jesus has got to repeat something, Nicodemus, get the point, right? Remember when he said, you got to be born again? And Nicodemus went, well, what do you want me to do? Climb back in my mother's womb? What did Jesus say? I'm sorry you didn't understand that. Let me explain it a different way. Somebody said, he goes, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. I can't believe you don't get it. Are you the teacher of Israel? Listen carefully when the Spirit of God reveals something to us twice. Take note, the Bible says he's the ancient of days. His hair was like wool. Why is hair such a big deal? It's Proverbs chapter 20. Solomon in the wisdom of God. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. The glory of the young is their strength. Listen carefully. The gray hair of experience or wisdom is the splendor of the old. I can't wait to get gray. I ain't going to cover it up. I want everyone to see I have worked for every single one of these. This one, his name is Micaiah. This one is Emmanuel. This one is Selah. This one is the baby, Timon. And I can go name after name after name. I'm going to be so grateful. I want everyone to see my gray. I'm not doing no just for men. I've worked for these grays. I want everyone to see it. Do you know that if I let my beard grow, it is completely gray? That's depressing. But wisdom remembers. Gray hair reflects something. And what Solomon lets us know, he lets us know that there's a wisdom that's found in older people because of their experience. Can I let you know something about Jesus and the reason why his hair is so gray? There's nothing he's not experienced. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He created time. In fact, Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, there's absolutely nothing new under the sun. God knows every situation. He can speak into every situation. And that's why in Jude's doxology, he would say this, to him alone who is wise. Now we know what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge applied in any given situation. And can I tell you that our God, if you look and you see his wise conduct, he knows what to do and what to say in every situation of your life. Amen? He knows what to do and he knows what to say. How many of you had said something to your children that you said you would never do it and your parents said it to you and you said to yourself, I will never be like my parent and then one day it just came right out of your mouth? How many? Anyone? Okay. How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? Raise your hand, parents. And you guys haven't made the same mistake I've made? Huh? How many of you have said something that you wish you never would have said it? It's like, you wanted to swallow it back. Like, you wish there was rewind. And you sense the conviction, right? Do you know that Jesus can give you the wisdom so you don't have to press rewind? 
Do you know that if you say what he says and do what he does? And I want you to see why he is so wise. Let me explain. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His eyes like a flame of fire. Can I tell you? It's like headlamp Jesus. It's like everywhere he looks is a headlamp. And let me tell you why you've got headlamps on your car, headlights on your car. Because when you're driving the 405, if you don't have headlights on, you don't see where you're going. Have you ever been on a country road where there's no street lights and you turn your lights off? You're going to go off the side of the road. The reason why his eyes are like flames of fire, there's no darkness in him. He's always shining a light. And when he gazes in your life, he shines the light into every situation because he himself announced, I'm the light of the world. And in the midst of this dark world, I will shine the way and I will show you the way to go. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what to say. And if you'll only turn and see my wise conduct, I can give you wisdom for every situation. And he's learned from experience. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that he learned obedience. Not that he learned obedience like he used to bite children when he was two years old. No, no, no. He was without sin. That's not the learn. He experienced it for the first time as the son of man. He learned it. He didn't have to learn obedience when he was in heaven. He learned obedience as the son of man. And with the experience, take a look. His feet were like fine brass, speaking of judgment, as if refined in a furnace. Stop there if you would. Fine brass, you see, on the altar was brass. Uh, 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 there was brass on the altar, and you would splatter the blood on that brass as a sign that God was going to cover over and not judge you. Brass speaks of judgment in the Bible. And his eyes, his feet were like brass, having had walked through a furnace refined through a furnace. Can I tell you something about our Jesus? He has felt the heat of life's fiery trials. He's felt it. And he judges for us that our trials are sufficient for us to refine us. Put that one on a plaque. He judges for us that our trials are sufficient to refine us. I read a story of a goldsmith, a young man doing research, wanting to become a goldsmith himself. He went for a day and did follow the goldsmith day. And there's the goldsmith, and he puts the gold into the kettle, and he begins to light up the furnace. He's stirring the gold, and then he lets it sit, and he turns up the furnace just a little bit more. And then he turns it up a little bit more, and all of a sudden the dross begins to come. All of the dirt that's in the gold begins to boil to the top. And he would take off the the dross. And then he would turn the heat up just a little bit longer, and then he would take off some more dross. Then he would turn the heat up even more, and the gold would go from 14 carat to 16 carat to 24 carat to pure gold. So finally, the young man asked, why do you keep turning up the heat? And when do you know that the gold is completely purified? And the goldsmith responded to him and said this, when I can look into the gold 
and see my reflection, I know the gold is purified. It comes by turning up the heat. Gang, he is so wise that he even knows what trials to put you through in order to refine you. And we've got to trust his wisdom that no matter how he turns up the heat, his goal is not our happiness. His goal is our holiness. His goal is that we're conformed into the image of Jesus. His goal is that there is less of you and more of him, and he'll keep turning up the heat until he sees his reflection. His wisdom, he's judges for us that our trials are sufficient to refine us, but his voice, his voice, his voice is like the sound of many waters. I've heard many people say to me, oh, I can't hear the voice of God, and I don't know when God is speaking to me. I don't know if you've ever been to the Niagara Falls. Uh, My wife and I, we lived in Brazil at uh, the Calvary Chapel property that's in Brazil, and our school of discipleship was there uh, two summers, and once uh, fall, we had the opportunity to live there and be there, and while we were there, we would take our students every semester to Falls de Aguasu. Falls de Aguasu is twice the size of Niagara Falls, and when you get close to Falls de Aguasu, let me tell you how you're speaking to your wife. Hey, Andrea! Isn't this incredible? And you know what she does? And you scream even louder. Andrea, isn't this? And you know what she sees? The noise is so loud from this waterfall, from this experience at Falls de Aguasu, you can't hear. And Jesus, when John turned and heard his voice, It was like the sound of Niagara Falls. It was an overwhelming sound. You can't hear God when his voice, when his voice is louder than the Niagara Falls or Fog Diaguasu. Let me tell you something. You can't help but hear, and he can even speak through canceling headphones. Noise-canceling headphones, he can get straight. That person that you don't think can ever get saved because they got the earphones on and they don't want to hear God. Let me tell you something about God. You can't help but hear his voice and have no fear. I know in the United States of America today and in our schools, or let me call them indoctrination centers, they are trying to drown out the voice of God. They've tried to do it for 2,000 years. They've not been successful to this point. Can I tell you why? You can't drown the Niagara Falls. It will drown you. It will drown you. God's word is alive and God's word is wise unto this day. It is as loud as day and you are proof of it. Because your lives have been changed and your lives have been transformed. You communicate to the world the Niagara Falls of the great wisdom of God that he would send his son to save you, to save you, to save you, and to save you. You are the rushing water. You are the example to the world of the great wisdom of God. And here's what God says. If you want wisdom, just ask me. I will give you wisdom for every and any situation that you're in. That's what I do. Number three, I want you to see it. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, his piercing convictions. Take a look at verse 16, his piercing convictions. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Take a look again. His right hand had the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His piercing convictions. He describes for us in verse 20, if you remember, that these seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. These were the ministers. These were the pastors at these seven churches. And he had a message to give them, and it was a message of conviction. These seven stars are the messengers. Can I tell you the message that he's given us? Because you're the ministers. You're the messengers. Here's what he told through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. And here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we are not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. And we are encouraged to preach the word with conviction, with power. You see, we are not ashamed of the gospel. These seven stars are the seven messengers, and we are those messengers today. And let me tell you, let me tell you about how the fact of the the condition that we're in. We are in the hand, not just the hand, but the right hand of God. And let me express what this word right means. Jews had a saying, the son of my right hand, Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob's right hand. Joseph was the favored child. You guys know I've got nine kids. We had an argument one Christmas about who is my favorite. And I watched the kids. They were just arguing. They were much older, you know, somewhere in their 20s. And they're saying, well, I know I'm the favorite. Well, I know I'm the favorite. And my baby son just sat there and listened to them all. And then I spoke. Everyone knows, Timon is my favorite. He has the coat of many colors. And then there was an argument because then Timon said, that's why I sat here. I knew it. I just watched you guys argue for nothing. (laughs) He's the baby. He's everyone's favorite, just like Joseph was. He's the son of my right hand. And let me express what that means. He's the son of favor. Do you realize there's a favor on you? Do you realize that the favor that he's given us is the word of God and we get to hold on to the very word of God? We know exactly what God says. We know exactly his convictions. We know everything that God wants us to know and we know it and it's found in his word and we're held in his right hands. You know what Jesus said? Nothing can take you out of his hand. And that's a big hand. Do you know that the Bible says that he holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand? I, I want you to go ahead. Take a look, take a look at your, the palm of your hand. Okay? How much water can you hold in that thing? How much water? Maybe what? A half a cup? A quarter a cup? An eighth of a teaspoon? Now put the Atlantic Ocean in there. Add the Indian and the Pacific. Add the Asian, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea. I want you to put the waters of the earth in the palm of your hand. That's a big hand. No wonder he says, fear not. I'm with you. I'm the guy that's got the, all of the waters of the earth 
in my hand. Fear not. So church, let me tell you something. Fear not. And with piercing conviction, believe Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the only way to heaven. And though there are a myriad of world religions that preaches there are many ways to God, Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Go into your school with the hand of God, the right hand of God, knowing the conviction that you have. Go to your workplace. Go to your place of play and communicate the truth of the gospel without fear. Because God's got you in his right hand. Our God's got you in his right hand. With conviction. Believe that his word is true. When God said that he created the heavens and earth in seven days, guess what? Seven days he created the heavens and the earth. And no matter how they try to shove evolution down your throat, with conviction believe God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. The word of God is true. Can I tell you that our faith is the victory? And that when you doubt, trust his word. Trust that you're in his hand. You see, he has a way, though, to display his convictions. I'll never forget, there was an abortion march, a pro-life march in Florida. It was years ago, and I'm not against pro-life marches, so don't hear that when I say this. But I was embarrassed of Christians. And there they were on national TV, screaming and spewing hatred. They were calling names. And of course, our left-wing media was very careful to point out, Jesus says this is murder. And you just see these women and you see these men just screaming and yelling. And there was actually a caption of a picture with a guy and a gal. And they're like this, holding their poster. And they just, this is what you see on CNN. They look like the devil holding the name of Jesus. But in the background of that still shot, You saw this. Two women. And they were on the steps of the Florida Supreme Court. And there they were, praying. And I'll never forget those two women because what they reminded me of is the way he pierces his convictions. The way he does. See, the Bible says it's a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword? Well, John describes for us what that double-edged sword is. Listen carefully. For the, uh, uh, he says this in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm actually going to read it for you. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is like a bonus verse for you, okay? John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what the Bible says. John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's full of grace, 100% grace. He's 100% truth all of the time. He never compromises his word, and he always shows it with compassion. 
He never compromises his word, but he always shows it with compassion. Let me give you a picture of the Jesus, of the Jews who rejected him, the Jews who hated him. As he's marching to Jerusalem, he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, listen to the compassion. How I've longed to embrace you. He didn't say, I can't believe you behave like this. I don't know why you're acting like this. No, his truth was never compromised. And he always revealed it with compassion. Finally, back to Revelation chapter 1. Here's where we close. And his countenance, verse 15, was like the sun shining in its strength. His countenance was like the sun. He had a radiant countenance. A countenance that shone that was from within. Do you remember the transfiguration? And John was up on the mountain and he saw Jesus begin to glow. What happened was his flesh began to be removed. The thing that he covered himself with in order to minister to us. And John got to see the true Jesus. It's changed from the inside out. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we allow him to write on the tablet of our heart, we begin to shine from the inside out. And we don't radiate us. We radiate the Lord Jesus Christ. Now take a look at the response of John in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead. I believe that when we see the risen Lord, the glorified Jesus, you can't help but die to yourself. Paul saw the glorified Jesus. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ, Yet, but I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, if we will stop for just a moment and see the glorified Jesus, we're going to see a great high priest and we're going to be giving grace. If we'll stop for just a moment and look at the glorified Jesus, we're going to have his wise conduct and display his wisdom to the world by our very transformed lives. If we choose to look at the glorified Jesus, we'll have his piercing convictions and we will be faithful to communicate them, not fearful because he's got us in his right hand. And if we look at the glorified Jesus, we will have his radiant countenance because he will increase in our lives and Chet will decrease. So church, could everyone just turn their head Just turn and just turn the other way. I want you to get used to that motion. Let me tell you why. Because he wants to speak to you and he wants us to turn like John because if we've got the right image of Jesus in our minds, we'll become like him. So Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus and my prayer No longer will we see you as baby Jesus, boy Jesus, even man Jesus who walked on the face of this earth. But we will see you as glorified Jesus. And with the image of you in our mind as our great high priest, I ask in the name of Jesus that we give grace.
Father, thank you that you transform us into the same image from glory to glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.